Good evening, everybody. This is Krista Fee, and you are here listening to the Battle to Be Phoenix and the Ferryman podcast. And tonight, I have a guest with a story that's very close to my heart. Um, as a survivor of childhood sexual abuse myself, um, I have been working on a project that a lot of you guys don't know about because I haven't really talked about it much yet. Um, and we, there's a group of us women that got together that represents pretty much the whole world. So we have a group called Global Healing right now. And we have a representative from Canada, Australia, the UK, and I represent the United States. And we have put together a compilation of stories that these amazing volunteers have come forward to speak their truths and to take their voice and to stand up and talk about things that people don't often talk about, to just bear their souls so that you guys out there who have suffered know that you're not alone and so that you can see just how vast this problem is and that it touches every continent and every country and every city and every community. So no one is safe from child abuse. No one is safe from all of these horrific things that happen. And it could be your friend, your neighbor, your cousin, your sister. And you probably don't know. But statistically speaking, you're looking at any time that you're in a group, any time that you're at the grocery store, every other person that you run into has experienced something, some form of abuse in their life. So we're hoping that bringing this message out and telling these stories is going to make people a little more sympathetic, a little more aware of how they treat other people because you never know what someone has been through. So I want to bring Charlene Flynn up with me. Hi, Charlene. Hi, how are you? So good. So this is your first time being published. Yes. That's so amazing. It is. It's kind of heartbreaking, but I'm glad it's done. What made you want to tell your story? I'm not really sure. Um, I guess just knowing that I've lived with this heartache for so long and knowing there's other kids now that I, you know, just recently found um, that have went through very similar situations to mine, you know, they need guidance, they need help. And my story's not as common as, you know, others. Um, so I figure, you know, if I can help somebody else out, then that's what I want to do. Absolutely. And the book out of the silence just got released on what yesterday. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> late, well, late Tuesday, early Wednesday morning. Early Wednesday morning. Yeah. And it is available on Amazon. So it is the publisher's Global Healing Right Now, W-R-I-T-E. And the title of the book is Out of the Silence. And you contributed a chapter to that book. I did. And would you like to tell us a little bit, a little bit of the story that you reveal? Okay. So my story is... Um, I grew up, well, I was born in New Orleans, and I had an older brother that was seven years older than me, 
and when I was four, he was murdered. And it was by our mother is who was convicted of the murder. And after that, um, or the day of his murder, I was the one that found him. And I've dealt with nightmares and all kinds of trauma since that day. And now here I am. Um, so you not only had to deal with the trauma of losing someone that you loved, of losing that your brother, you also had to deal with the fact that it was your mother that was responsible for it and you lost her too. Yes. I lost both, both of them at the same time. And it was overwhelming, especially as a four-year-old. Um, not many four-year-olds can comprehend life in general, but to have to deal with the complexity of dealing with, you know, the murder and then taking out of the home where th those are the only people you knew to somewhere that you didn't know anybody, a whole new place, a whole new lifestyle. And then, you know, every time I'd go see my mom in prison, you know, in jail, it was just, it was sad. It was a sad time because I didn't know what's going on. I was confused, lonely, this a devastated child that didn't know what was going to happen to her next. And so then you to visit your mom. I did. Well, for the first two years when she was in jail and then I ended up moving up to Tennessee and um, living with an aunt and uncle who raised me until of the age of 18. And um, I didn't see her again after that until I was older. And she served, uh, she served 20 years. Oh no, she didn't even no, she was only in, I think, nine. Nine. So now she's out. She is out. And now you're having to deal with having family in common and having to run into her at family functions and things like that. Yeah, well, luckily the family is very understanding that we don't communicate very well. So... When it comes to that, you know, I, I still talk to all that side of the family and um, what they understand. They know the trauma behind it. They know everything that happens. They understand my feelings towards it. So we don't have any issues. Do you feel like there's, do you feel like there's ever a place where you and your mom will have any kind of connection anymore? Or do you feel like that's impossible? Uh, honestly, we've, well, early, actually earlier this year, my, uh, grandmother had passed away and which is her mom. And I went down to the funeral and it was not a good time between us. Um, there was some more traumatic incidences that happened while I was down there. And that was that I just, I can't be around her. I just can't it's do it. It's important to know when people are unsafe for us and, as traumatized individuals, it's often very challenging, very difficult to set boundaries for ourselves and to not just allow people that are unsafe for us to be in our space. So I commend you for setting those boundaries and knowing what your limitations are and protecting your mental health and wellness because you have to. Right. And of course, the reason that I say she has to, you guys don't know about, but she is a wife and a mother and has beautiful, beautiful children. And she has a career 
in the army. And I was really excited to, to find out that you were in the army because most of our, most of our watchers are either military or they're firefighters or police officers or other first responders. So everybody knows there's, there's kind of a culture, there's kind of a connection. It just, it's family. So I love it when my guests have their stories of trauma, but these stories are also stories of surviving trauma and becoming something more, finding a way to take that trauma and serve the world with it or in spite of it. So you served in the army from the time that you were 18? Actually, I joined in February of 2006. I just turned 19. And I was in on active duty for four years and spent 15 months in Iraq. And then I spent two years in the reserves. Um, but the reason I got off of active duty was because I had my first child when, um, right after I finished my AIT, which is my advanced individual job training, pretty much. And um, I found out I was pregnant. I had her. And then seven months after she was born, I deployed to Iraq for 15 months. And when I came back, I just couldn't do it again. I couldn't leave her again. Um, and then I had my second child. I found out I was pregnant with my second child and decided I had to get out. So. So you struggled with leaving your kiddo at home. Oh, yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, like I actually put in my chapter in my book or in the book that we just released that um, it was hard that day that I left her, she was this happy, very giggly kid, little baby. Um, and the moment I left, she just broke down in tears and she started crying and reaching for me. And it just, it was, I don't even know how I walked out of that gym, but I had to walk out of the gym and I was bawling my eyes out. And I think I cried all the way to the airport. And luckily I had a good friend sitting beside me and he was like, you know, this is the worst part of the apartment. The deployment, the hardest part that you're going to have to face, which was true to an extent. But then I came home for my R&R and for her first birthday and seeing her, it was hard to leave her again. And then I was gone for another nine months before I came back, you know, came back home for good. So it was it was hard to leave her. And you have a relationship where you're very connected with your husband. Uh, you have no. a good relationship? No. No. We're apart now. So we, was, there, uh, was there ever any fear for you leaving your child, having the experiences that you had had? Did you ever have any fear that she wouldn't be there when you came back? Yes. Actually, my ex and I had a um, had an issue while I was deployed. And... He stopped talking to me. So there was a time where I didn't get to video chat with my daughter, which I didn't get to very often anyway. But there was about five months where I didn't really get to see her on video chat or anything like that. And so it really affected my relationship with my daughter at the time anyway. But then when I came back, he was pretty much trying to take control of the situation and say, you know what, you're active duty. Even if you get a family care plan, you're not going to be able to take care of her. So why don't you just leave her here in Tennessee with me? You do your thing. I do mine. I keep the kid, stuff like that. And I was like, no, this isn't going to work. 
Um, and so after about six weeks, I got to go home, come back from Fort Hood to East Tennessee. Um, and I took my kid and I took her back uh, to Texas. And at that time, um, he didn't realize it, but I pretty much just te- took her back. And I was like, you know, I'm the mom. I don't have anything against me. There's no reason why I can't have my kids. So I took her back home um, with me to Texas. And of course, there was a lot of fights about that. But then we ended up getting back together. Um, and then we had our second kid. <laughs> long drama, long drama related story behind that. But um, we had our second kid. And then a few years later, we had some issues. I had gotten out, came back to Tennessee. And, you know, we've had marital issues since the deployment. It, the deployment just did us all in, you know. Um, there's a lot of people that I've known that have went through similar situations where the deployments just weren't good for the, you know, marriages. Um, and I was one of them. But, you, you know, now. Absence makes the heart grow fonder has never been deployed. <laughs> exactly. And it, it, yeah, it was bad. This is really bad. Yeah, I actually had another guest on here who said one of the most difficult things for him was being at the phone because a long time ago, you guys had to take turns on the phone and to do your phone calls home. And he said the experience was literally one right after the other. The wife's cheating. They're getting divorced. There's like all this stuff happening as they're having these phone calls. So being in the room, waiting your turn for the phone, all you're hearing is all this devastation of your your fellow (laughs) officers. So it's just like, I can't even imagine being stuck in a space and knowing that everyone has to hear your drama and that no, it's your only opportunity to connect with home and you have no power or control over what's happening there. And your partner is just saying, this is how it is. Sorry. And you have to deal with your emotions and everyone else's at the same time. Right. So so many challenges with the trauma that you survived as a child. Do you feel like that made it, more difficult for you to deal with the stresses of military life? Actually, no, I did really good with the military lifestyle, but the thing was like growing up, of course I struggled with it and struggled with it. And then I learned that if I wanted to be in the military, I would have to be off medication and I would have to learn how to deal with my depression on my own and all the trauma and everything I dealt with. So I, I don't know how I did it, but I suppressed all that, um, emotional turmoil, everything else I had faced. And um, then I went in the military and did great. And honestly, it wasn't until about five years ago that I started experiencing some more mental health issues. And that's only because I um, was going through boxes from the military that I'd packed up that I finally was able to unbox. And that's when I started finding this stuff from my past, like pictures and books and stuff like that. And then I came in contact with a foster family, the the third foster family I was with after my brother was killed. Um, and I found the book from them, contacted them and was able to talk with that foster family. And then I also, um, found pictures and stuff like that. So it just started becoming like a weird time for me. Um, But the military was easiest out of 
I guess like the six years I was in the military was like, even though I struggled mentally, it just, I guess I had more support in the family and everything, you know, it was easier. If that makes sense. I've actually heard a lot of people say that, that the military is really useful for helping people hold back trauma because you know what to expect. Everything is structured and you don't have to make your own choices. You don't have to think too much of your own stuff. You just do what you're supposed to do. So your head is in the process. There's, there's jobs and there's structure and there's other people to take care of. And you have stepped outside of the real world in a way you've kind of disassociated from all of the things that stimulate you all of the things that trigger it because you're in a whole different environment you're in you know there's nothing in iraq that's going to remind you of home so you have all new problems to deal with but they're not those problems to deal with so it absolutely makes sense and i i've talked with a lot of people who use who join the military almost as a way to heal as a way to escape from the troubled childhoods that that, that they experience and sometimes it works out really well and sometimes it doesn't because sometimes it sets us up for PTSD and you know more intense traumatic responses from whatever experiences may happen in the military so that that story goes both ways sometimes it's you know really helpful and sometimes sometimes not so much but i was really happy to well i've had the privilege to read your story and to see that when you talk about the military you talk about it in a positive light and as a good experience for you. Yes, it was. It was, it was a good experience. And it's still those people in the military family. You're still in touch with a lot of them and Oh yeah. The majority yeah, the majority of my friends are still my military family. I see them I see some of them occasionally. I travel places just to see them, you know, we hang out and we talk on the phone occasionally and stuff like that. I keep in contact with them. So, so what were the most effective things that you did or are still doing even to work through, to work through your experiences? Military or before? In general, what, what are your trauma go-tos? What are the things that you've done to help yourself heal? Um, talk therapy has been I have a psychologist I see at the VA that helps me through what little bit I went through while I was in the military. Um, I didn't go through a lot compared to what some of my friends went through. Um, but she also helps me with stuff from before. Um, and surprisingly, the the psychologist I see at the VA is actually from New Orleans, or well, she went to school in New Orleans, excuse me. So she knows a lot, you know, I don't really have to explain a lot of myself. It's kind of weird. It went full circle when I met her. Um, And when I was younger, like as a kid, I used to do, of course, you know, therapy, counseling, all that fun stuff. But um, I did a lot of drawing and listening to music. And that was a go-to. It kind of clears my mind and you know, makes me concentrate on something else. So, and I, I still go to music and drawing occasionally too, but then I have my kids to keep me busy and, you know, with three kids, I'm always on the go. So. So writing's a natural 
you tend towards those creative outlets. So writing's a natural outlet for you. Honestly, writing was hard for me. <laughs> I'm not much of a writer, but it was, um, I mean, writing the story, it, it was easy to an extent because, you know, of course it all just came out. Like it just all came out, but it, it was still kind of hard in a way too. There was a lot of nights, late nights where I would just sit up and just think because, you know, after I would have to write it in like sections because I would write one section. And it would be so like traumatic. I'd have to take a break. Cause it was just like a mental, um, it's, I would get like a mental block and it would just be, I would be, just be so exhausted mentally exhausted from writing what little bit I wrote. So I just do it in like little sections and, but we, we got it done. We did. I can't believe, uh, I know Tracy, Tracy Cox is one of our other partners and she said that we've been at it for six months. It doesn't seem, it doesn't seem like it. Has it been that long? Like I didn't think it'd been that long. Okay. Surprisingly, like, it, okay, so the anniversary of my brother's death was in July, on July 13th, and she actually put a thing out on that uh, survivor, uh, survivors of childhood trauma or whatever, the abuse, the Facebook page that we're both part of. Um, she put a thing on that like a week before and said that she wanted to start this organization, that she wanted to start this book, and she wanted to be able to help other people through this writing and I was like, hey, that sounds like a good idea, but I didn't think it would actually come into play. I didn't think I would actually end up doing it. Um, and then just since, yeah, that second or that first week of July, it's we've gotten the group together, formed the organization, wrote the book, and now look where we are. Right. And now next year's objective is quarterly. Yeah. Yeah, she's wanting to do the next one by March. Yep. So you guys out there listening, if you have your own childhood experiences that you feel it would benefit you to write, Global Healing Right Now is a Facebook group. It's easy to find. And I'll put a, a link down underneath the this podcast in our YouTube so that you can find it. Um, super easy going in terms of it can be poetry, do some drawings, whatever it is that you want to do to express yourself, do some healing work. Um, and we will put it in there for you so that you can get it out there and nothing ever costs you anything. This, the whole program is designed to support you through your process so that you can get your voice heard. And if you want to do something bigger than that later, you want to publish your own book or you want to write your own biography or whatever it is that you want to do, uh, Tracy will uh, support you through that too. So the group will only get better. It will only get bigger. And it is an extremely supportive environment. So it, there's a number of certified educated trauma educators in there. There's a number of people who have been through things that are probably really similar to the things that, that you guys out there listening have been through. Um, we have all different kinds of stories. So don't tell yourself that it's not big enough to be in there because if you feel like it is, it is. So do you feel like the experience has been helpful for you? 
in the healing process? A little bit. A little bit. Um, yeah, I, I even, like, just to reiterate what you just said about the whole it not being big enough, even, like I said, like, compared to some people, I think my trauma is kind of small. But she said, but Tracy even said today, because I was talking to her, and she goes, yeah, everybody wants to minimize their trauma to make it look like it's not that big when, you know, people will read it and they'll be like, wow, you know, like this big wow factor from it. So, but yeah, it's, I think it has been healing. It definitely was therapeutic to get all my feelings out, to write it all down and be like, just get it out, you know. Do you have any concerns now that it's out? I, I mean, no matter what, you say people are going to have negative comments and negative effects towards anything you do say, whatever. I mean, I don't know. I'm pretty easy going. Whatever happens, happens. So you're pretty prepared for. Yeah. <laughs> I, my life's always been super crazy and I never know what's going to happen from one day to the next. So, you know, I just go with the flow. I know when. I'm a little bit concerned because I've never publicized any of my stuff before either. I mean, people know that I'm a survivor, but they don't know any anything. So I'm, this is literally the first time in all the shows and all the things that I do and all this public stuff that I do. I never talk about the details or the specifics or anything like that. And I, I wasn't sure that I was ready for that. So it can be it can be a really big deal to be vulnerable enough to put yourself out there but realizing that if we don't put ourselves out there like then we're part of we're part of the silence we're part of this whole situation where victims don't talk they don't say anything the one thing that struck me reading everybody's stories in this book was how old we all were when we actually started really processing our healing and how old we were when we finally spoke up like we're literally you know, in our 30s to, but I think we have one of our ladies is in her 60s and it's her first time speaking out. So I think we're talking like these things happened when we were all small children and we're now in our 30s to our 60s and now we're finally able to, and sometimes barely able to, right, speak yeah. about it. Yeah. I mean, of course, my brother was killed when I was four and then. But I was told a lot at growing up not to talk about it because, you know, I don't know. But I was kind of sheltered. And then what my aunt and uncle would always say, you know, don't talk about it. You know, you can talk in therapy about it. But, you know, they didn't really even want to talk about it and hear about it. So I kind of suppressed those emotions a lot. And then actually within the past couple of I, yeah, it's been five years now since everything started just kind of opening back up and I've been talking more about it because it seems like I've been getting all these like, I don't know how spiritual or, you know, how you are into the supernatural stuff. But um, it seems like my brother's been like giving me signs to kind of maybe help comfort me through this journey, if that makes any sense at all. Because like, like... Like I said, at first, I found my foster brother for my third um, foster home. And then um, just actually two years ago, my first foster sister 
reached out to me. Like, I didn't even know she sent me a random uh, message on Facebook saying, hey, I think I know you. And it was the day before the anniversary of my brother's death. And so all this stuff and coming out has actually kind of, you know, prepared me. And then it was actually during my last job before I started at my local vet, uh, Veterans Affairs um, Medical Center where I work now. Um, I worked for a podiatrist's office and there was actually a criminal profiling book that my brother's story was told in. It was a college textbook. And I actually found that when I was Googling because we were Googling patients' names to see if they were deceased. And my coworkers were like, why don't we just Google our own names and see what would happen? And that's when I Googled it and found out my brother's story was actually in a criminal profiling textbook. Um, so just these like little things over the past few years have kind of made me open up to people. And I'm like, you know, maybe I should start sharing more and just trying to help others out. Because I know there's other kids that have went through similar situations. They're just not talked about. Because you hear about all these kids losing, or these, all these people, like family members and, you know, stepdads, stepmoms killing their, you know, stepchildren or their children and stuff like that. But you never hear about the siblings and what happens to the siblings. So, you know, I was like, you know, why don't, you know, maybe it'll help to tell my story and what I went through and how I overcame it and have been, become su successful. And that's where I'm at today. So if you could say one thing to people out there who are struggling, what would it be? Don't give up. Um, find somebody to talk to that, you know, professional that could help you through whatever mental, mental health struggles you're going through. Um, and, you know, writing is therapeutic, whether you're writing in a journal or anything like that. Just you know, write down your feelings and just remember there's always a sunshine after a rainstorm. You'll get through it and there'll be better days. Thank you so much for coming out with us today and sharing your, sharing your story. It's been so wonderful having you and I can't wait to see what happens with the book. It should be released in paperback this weekend, tentatively. Don't hold me to that. Yeah. Uh, I'm told it should be available on Sunday. Uh, if not, it will be early next week. And so go to Amazon, support our authors. And if you want to be involved in the next project, I will put the links down below for you so that you can find our group and find our people and get connected with the support that you need to get through it. We don't just have you write a chapter and not help you. Like we're all there talking through the whole process. So if you need proofreaders, if you need people to just talk to as the emotions come up, if you need any kind of support, it's there for you. So it's an, it's an amazing group and I'm super, super proud to be a part of that. Me and too. I can't wait to see where it goes. I'm excited. You know, the, you know, I was nervous at first, but yeah, I'm more and more excited. I think it's going to be a, I think it's going to become a movement. I think it's going to create some major waves. And I think there's going to be a lot of impact because there's nothing more powerful than the voices of survivors. There's nothing more, there's nothing more magical to motivate change than truth. 
So if we just stop hiding in the shadows and stop playing small and just stand up and say we matter and that we have story, we have a voice and that we're not going to let what happened to us define us, it's going to change the world. And let's see some of these girls and boys come forward when they're young and when they're let's see them healing at 14 15 16 not 50 or 60 right let's exactly. change let's change this conversation let's let's make it okay to talk about suffering let's make it okay to say i'm not okay let's make it okay to say i was hurt and it's not okay that this person did this to me so do something about it we got to change the system we've got to change everything from the top down and it's literally every culture it's all over the world it's different everywhere but it's literally everywhere so change starts with us so i think that's what we finally stood up and just said this is unacceptable and we're not gonna we're not gonna continue so so hear us roar right <laughs> All right, thank you so much for being with us tonight. I'm gonna pop you off and say goodbye to everybody. Thank you guys so much for being with us tonight. Again, if you want to find out more about the project, it is, um, the book is Out of the Silence and the organization is Global Healing Right Now. It is out of the UK. And it is on Facebook and you can go to globalhealingrightnow.com, W-R-I-T-E. And again, I'll put the link down once this goes uh, to our YouTube. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. And I will talk to you guys again on Monday.